before they disintegrated into outright madness, then death. Since it was rare for vampires to achieve such an extreme old age, the phenomenon was little known outside the upper echelon of the night-kind community. Vampires lived violent lives, and they tended to die from other causes first. Perhaps it was the inevitable progression of the disease itself. Perhaps, Carling thought, in the end our beginning contains the seeds of our eventual downfall. The souls that began as human were never meant to live the near-immortal life that the vampirism gave them. Roswin's tear-streaked face lifted. But you got better for a while. In Chicago, and later at the Dark Fay Coronation, you were fully alert and functioning. You were present for every moment. We just have to keep you stimulated with new things. Carling regarded her with a wry expression. Extraordinary experiences did seem to help as they jolted one into alertness for a time. The problem was they only helped temporarily. To someone who has witnessed the passage of millennia, after a while even the extraordinary experiences became ordinary. She sighed and admitted, I had a couple of episodes I did not share with you. The grief that filled Roswin's expression at that was positively Shakespearean. Carling's sense of wryness deepened as she looked upon the face of fanatic devotion and knew she had done nothing whatsoever to deserve it. She had been born into obscurity so long ago the details of that time had faded from history. She had been kidnapped into slavery— whipped nearly to death and given as a concubine to an aging desert king, and she had sworn she would never let anyone take a lash to her again. She seduced the king into making her a queen and squandered an almost unimaginably long life in the acquisition of power. She learned poisons and warfare and sorcery, how to rule and how to hold a grudge with all of her heart, and then she discovered vampirism, the serpent's kiss that had given her near immortality. She had played chess with demons for human lives, counseled monarchs, and warred with monsters. Throughout the unwinding scroll of centuries, she had ruled more than one country with unwavering ruthlessness in her slender iron fist. She knew spells that were so secret the knowledge of their existence had all but passed from this earth, and she had seen things so wondrous the sight of them had brought proud men to their knees. She had conquered the darkness to walk in the full light of day, and she had lost, and lost, and lost so very many people and things that even grief failed to move her much any more. All of those fabulous experiences were now fading into the ornamented night. There was simply nowhere else to take her life, no adventure so compelling she must fight above all else to survive and see it through, no mountaintop she had to scale. After everything she had done to survive, after fighting to live for so long and to rule, she had now become disinterested. And here was the final of all treasures, the last jewel in her casket of secrets that rested on top of the others, winking its onyx light.
The power she had worked so hard to accumulate was pulsing in rhythm with the accelerating deterioration of her mind. She saw it flare all around her in an exquisite transparent shimmer. It covered her in a shroud that sparkled like diamonds. She had not expected that her death would be so lovely. She had lost track of when it had begun. The past and the present intermingled in her mind— Time had become a riddle. Perhaps it had been a hundred years ago, or perhaps it had been the entirety of her life which held certain symmetry, that for which she had fought so hard, shed blood over, and cried tears of rage, would be what consumed her in the end. Another power flare was building. She could sense its inevitability, like the oncoming crescendo in an immortal symphony or the next intimate.